All right. I always feel distant from you uh, up here. I don't want to come down there, so I'm going to stay up here. Uh, if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Psalm 119. We continue through this series on this, the longest chapter in the Bible, uh, a chapter uh, or a psalm about God's Word and the beauty of it, the necessity of it, and really the capacity of God's Word to affect change in our lives. And tonight we're going to look at two stanzas. We'll look at the, the uh, ninth and the tenth stanza, stanza the, the Tate stanza and the Yod stanza. Uh, but we're, we're, our hope tonight is that God really speaks to us and helps us understand how's, how God's Word, as it's preached, as we read it, really can affect our lives in a powerful way. So I'm going to read it, and I'm going to pray for us, and we'll jump in. So Psalm 119, verse 65 through 80. You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good and do good. Teach me your statues. The insolent smear me with lies, but with my whole heart I keep your precepts. Their heart is unfeeling like fat, but I delight in your law. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statues. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Your hands have made and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Those who fear you shall see me and rejoice because I have hoped in your word. I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Let your steadfast love comfort me according to your promise. To your servant, let your mercy come to me that I may live for your law is my delight. Let the insolent be put to shame, because they have wronged me with falsehood. As for me, I will meditate on your precepts. Let those who fear you turn to me, that they may know your testimonies. May my heart, may my heart be blameless in statues, that I, may, that I may not be put to shame. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, this indeed is your word, and we come humbly before it, and we ask by your spirit that you would be our teacher tonight. We've already prayed, and we trust that you hear our prayer, that you would open our hearts, open our minds to receive what is true about your word, and to take it in in such a way that we will be affected, that we will be changed this evening as we hear your word preached to us during this time. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. As you have probably already seen and read my title tonight, it's a phrase, a play on words that we're all very familiar with when we think about being a child. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Maybe you heard that phrase when you were younger. But as we've grown up, we found out that's a fallacy. It's not true. Our parents lied to us. When people say certain things, they actually can hurt us. Words can hurt. Now, after being a pastor for almost 17 years, I've I've learned there is a distinction. There's a distinction from being harmed and being hurt. There's a difference there. Harming somebody, especially with our words, is most often born out of cruelty or meanness or fear. 
We lash out at people in insecurity and and pain or pride, and we inflict damage upon people, upon one another, in the name of retaliation or vengeance or just being mean. That's harming somebody. But there's a difference. Hurting someone with our words is different. It's born out of the truth, out of love, and out of goodness. Paul tells us, speak the truth in love in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. And sometimes when we hear the word of God, it hurts. Not in a cruel or mean way, but a way that is good for us. Words that are shared with us out of relationship, out of concern, out of truth. And the truth can hurt at times. Jesus models this for us. When we think about the rich, young ruler, he comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus tells us to obey the law, and he says, I've done everything. And then Jesus says, go and sell all that you had and come and follow me. And Mark tells us that he went away disheartened. He went away sad. He was hurt by Jesus' words. Jesus had told him the truth and inflicted some kind of uh, humiliation and pain in his life. Here, the psalmist, in verses 65 to 80, is really unpacking this reality that God's Word can really affect us, can really afflict us, can bring pain and hurt in our lives. I've got two points I want to draw out here for us this evening. The Word can hurt, and the Word will heal. The Word can hurt, and the Word will heal. So, first, the Word can hurt. If you look at verse 65, you have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. The psalmist is expressing that God has dealt with him. Some translations say that God has done good to him. If we were to use a phrase, a modern religious phrase, we would say that Jesus or God himself, they've had a come to Jesus meeting about something in the psalmist's life. And the result of this is that the psalmist is afflicted. Look at verse 67 and 71 and 75. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. It is good for me that I was afflicted. I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous, and that in righteousness you have afflicted me. The word there for affliction means to be disciplined by God, to be humbled, to be brought low. And we all know when the Word of God moves into our lives and we're humbled by it, it's not an experience that we enjoy. It can be painful. There's a reason why the writer of Hebrews says the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And we've all had experiences with sharp objects. I know I have, and we know our kids have. And we've poked ourselves and we cut ourselves with sharp objects. It doesn't feel good. And here, the writer of Hebrews is saying the Word of God is sharper than a double-edged sword. It has the ability to pierce us, to afflict us, to bring harm or hurt into our lives. Now, the psalmist is talking about this, that he had a meeting, he dealt, the Lord dealt with him through his Word, and it afflicted him. Now, we don't know what is going on, With the psalmist, why did God have to deal with him? Well, the truth is, he tells us that he went astray. We're not exactly sure why he went astray. 
But we read in verse 67, before I was afflicted, I went astray. The Bible's unclear on defining what is this astray. We don't know what the psalmist was doing. It could have been some obsession with money or gold, as the psalmist references all that in verse 72. It could be a lack of judgment, bad decisions, bad company, as we see in verse 66. We don't know what the psalmist was doing to cause him to be led astray, but we know that God's word has entered into his life in a piercing way, and it's afflicted him. It's brought him low. It's humbled him. Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for the training of righteousness. That's what's happening here, I believe, in these stanzas. The psalmist is led astray by some sin, and God's word enters into his existence and pierces him, afflicts him, confronts him in his sin. Now, what does sin do? It isolates us. It ultimately separates us from God. An unconfronted, unconfessed sin drives us away, leads us astray from God. The Word of God indeed reproves us as it moves into our lives and reveals deception. Sins that we entertain, sins that we hold dear, sins that we coddle. And the psalmist is experiencing that here in these two stanzas. My family and I have just recently started watching a show on Amazon called Life Below Zero. It's not a new show, uh, but for some reason we have just started watching it. It's about these people that live in certain areas of the world that are below zero, temperature zero. And the one that we're watching right now is, is Life Below Zero in the Northern Territories, these people in the outer reaches of, of Canada. And there's a certain character by the name of Pike. His, his name is actually Mike, Mike Latour Harrison. He's a fascinating character. He lives by himself. As anybody that lives by himself in Canada, below zero, he, he's kind of eccentric and weird. You can imagine. Maybe you have seen this show. But just recently we watched an episode where he was celebrating during winter when it was 40 below zero on how he got water because everything around him was frozen and he had to prepare himself because he can't go through the winter without water. He's thirsty. And how he dug a hole in this lake and he dug it deep and then he puts this cardboard over it and creates space and air so, so some kind of heat can be in there and this water cannot freeze. And he puts snow on top of it, and he goes back to it over and over again to get water during the coldest parts of the winter. And this episode, as he's explaining to us, and he's getting his water and putting it in buckets, at the very end, as he's explaining to the audience the importance of water, he makes a Thanksgiving offering, I guess, to Mother Earth, to give back what earth has given to him. And the thanksgiving offering that he gives is a pinch of tobacco. He takes this pinch of tobacco and he puts it right under this 
weed or something that is alive and 40 below zero, so as to give Mother Earth a cigarette. I'm glad you laughed, some of you, because it is laughable that his sacrifice to Mother Earth is to give Mother Earth a cigarette. So as next time he comes to this, this little hole in the ground that, that, that Mother Earth will give him some water so he can survive, please take uh, a couple of, of uh, cigarette puffs, Mother Earth, and, and know that I, that I honor you and, and how you're providing for me. And we laugh at that. But he's not laughing. He's very serious. And as I was laughing at it, listening to him talk about sacrifice and giving away his tobacco to Mother Earth, I also had a, had a sense of compassion and sadness that here is a guy that's totally isolated and he's overcome by the deception of his heart about what is true and what is real. So much so that he is created in the image of God to worship God. And this is executed through believing in Mother Earth and, and giving her tobacco. Sin moves into our lives and deceives us, especially when we're alone. And I have no doubt that the psalmist here is dealing with some kind of sin. And the Word of God is entering into his existence and calling him away from it. Right before COVID, I did a, a short little series. I didn't get through all of it that I call the seven deadly sins of East Memphis. Things that are so dear to us, things that we experience in, in the patterns of our lives, this little tribe that we are in, in East Memphis. Generational sins that are baked into our experience in this place. Listen to the seven that I thought about and, and think about, is this, is this a reality in your life? The sin or deception of self-salvation. The self, seeking salvation through self-discovery, self-expression. Focusing primary on our, primarily on our uniqueness, our self-importance, and how relationships and places and experiences are so much better because we're there. This deception of the self and how it's glorified in our culture even now. How about the deception of greed and extravagance? how we wield our money and chase after more and more of it, convincing ourselves we are owed, we need more pleasures and more stuff of this world, using our money in, to, uh, for deceptive means to gain power, to get what we want out of life, and being terrified to give it away. How about the deception of power and influence, obsessing over relationships and institutions that we want to be part of? We want to be in the inner circle, we want to be in the room where it all happens. We want to be with the right people and have the right stickers on our cars and be associated with the right institutions of East Memphis, and we're deceived. How about the deception of sexuality, obsessing over our bodies and what we look like, punishing them to atone for the, our eating struggles, knowing that, we shouldn't, knowing that we shouldn't, but regularly exposing ourselves to things like soft porn, on Netflix or Amazon or Instagram or TikTok or Snapchat, along with other media outlets. And we're deceived to think that it doesn't affect us. Or we're going to be okay if we continue to expose ourselves to these things. How about the deception of substance abuse and addiction? Our unhealthy relationships with alcohol or food, 
or prescription drugs, and, and we think about our relationship with these things, and we think we're okay. But deep down inside, you know that you're being deceived by sin. How about the deception of kindergarten? We're obsessing over our children, how they perform on the ball field, in the classroom, and who we are as individuals, and how we feel about ourselves is so attached to our children that we run ourselves ragged to, to make sure that they're okay, that they get to experience everything they want in this life, because if they don't, then it affects us and how we feel about ourselves. How about the deception of the tongue? We're constantly giving into this diet of undercutting people with our reputation and having little conversations like, hey, I just want to let you know. I'm not gossiping about this person, but hey, just, just so you know, this is what that person did, or this is what that person has uh, in, their, in their past, in their history. All these certain deceptions and sins that are baked into our culture, that some of us are baked into our lives. And if we're honest with ourselves, if I'm honest with myself, we're on this list somewhere, if not everywhere. And the only thing that exposes these deceptions, these realities in our lives, is the Word of God. And when it comes to us and exposes these things, these deceptions, these sins that lead us away from God, that cause us to go astray, and we hear the Word of God preached, and we read the Word of God, and it tells us the truth, and we feel pierced by it. It hurts. It's humbling. It's hard. Being here for almost 13 years, I've heard many stories about the pulpit here at IPC. Heard stories like, I was there that morning when that preacher preached that sermon, and I felt like he was teaching or preaching right at me. What he was saying is exactly what I was dealing with. How did he know that? Let me give you a little secret. He doesn't, but God does. And God is in the business of piercing us with his word to reveal the truth and to reveal our sin, to wound us, not to harm us, but to hurt us to cause us to be humble before Him and to expose these things that grip our hearts and ultimately lead us away from Him. But our God is so good and He's so faithful to His Word that He doesn't just uh, hurt us or, or uh, humble us through His Word. He also heals us. And the psalmist experiences that. He says... In verse 68, you are good and you do good. Verse 71, it is good for me that I was afflicted. It was good. Being confronted by God's word is a good thing. God is good and he does good to us by confronting us by his word. Ultimately what? To do what? To heal us. And why is it good? Why is it good that he does this? Listen to verse 70. There, the insolent, these rude and arrogant people, their heart is unfeeling like fat, the psalmist says. These insolent, these arrogant, these rude people, 
have strayed away from God. They've entertained sin. They're deceived at certain levels. And all it has done is numb their heart to Him. It's unfeeling. Like fat. They're so deceived in their sin that their heart is dead. God is not okay with that for His people. God is not okay with our hearts being dead, as you heard this morning, being zombie-like. No, He is going to move into our lives through His Word, and He's going to confront us and tell us the truth. Why? Because our soft hearts bring blessing. Soft hearts bring blessings. Verse 73, Your hands have made and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. The Word of God has moved into the psalmist's life, confronted him, called him back to himself, softened his heart unto God, and the softness has led him to clarity, to the reality of, listen, I am not the creator, I'm the creature. And I owe my very life, my existence to my God. And this Word that He has given to me is for my good, I'm to submit to it and to celebrate it because it is good. He brings clarity to this distinction that we all struggle with, that we are not the Creator, we are the creatures, and we are utterly dependent upon God for everything. And sin will deceive you. Sin deceives us to think we're more important than we actually are. And the Word of God comes to us and says, No, I created you. You are mine. It softens our hearts to see clarity. It also softens our hearts to receive mercy. Look at verse 76 and 77. Let your steadfast love comfort me according to your promise to your servant. Let your mercy come to me that I may live. It's in this confrontation by the word of God that the psalmist's heart is softened, that he's able to receive the mercy of God, that God has... uh, has not giving, giving him what he deserves. God didn't let him, uh, let him go or turn him over to a sin. No, God met him and dealt with him to bring him back to him, that he might show him mercy, that he might taste of how good God is, that he's infinitely merciful, that his steadfast love is still upon him. His sin has not erased God's love. No, God's love is stronger than his sin. God's care for him is stronger for his misdeeds. God's love for him is stronger than his his walking away and his wandering. But lastly, soft hearts not only bring clarity and they help us understand mercy, but they give us a testimony. The psalmist twice tells us In verse 79 and verse 74, those who fear you shall see me and rejoice because I have hoped in your word. Let those who fear you turn to me that they may know your testimonies. As God does these miraculous things in our lives, as God calls us out from darkness by his word and draws us back to himself to experience his mercy and his grace, we become a bright light in this world. And our relationship with God radiates heat in such a way that people want to see it and experience it and hear about it as a testimony of His goodness. 
And the psalmist is saying, listen, what God has done in my life, calling, calling me away from sin and restoring me back to himself, everybody wants to hear about it. Why? Because it's beautiful and it's good. God is good and he does good. How can we trust this? How can we trust that as the Word of God moves into our lives and wounds us at times, hurts us, humbles us, how can we trust that? Because the Word of God came to this place. Jesus entered into our spaces as the Word of God. And He too has wounds. He too has scars. He, too, is a testimony of God's love to us. As He bore the punishment of our sin, as He bore the punishment of our deception on the cross, out of love for us, as an expression of mercy to us, as an expression of God's faithfulness that His steadfast love will never leave us. And that drives God through His Word, to speak the truth to us in our sin and to call us back to Him. What's the result? Well, the psalmist tells us he's in love with God's Word. He delights in it. Verse 78, Let the insolent be put to shame because they are wronged, wronged me with falsehood. As for me, I will meditate on your precepts. I will meditate on what is true, what you've told me. Do you know how to meditate on God's Word? I've said this before in my class. If you say no, you're not telling the truth. Because everybody in here knows how to worry. Everybody in here knows how to worry about something. And worrying is the same thing as meditating. Just in an opposite direction. God calls us to meditate on His Word. To listen to it. To take it in. And as we do that, God will reveal things in our hearts that are not good, that lead us astray, that cause our hearts to be hard. And He promises through His mercy and His grace to heal us, to soften us, that we might receive his goodness and his mercy and his steadfast love. The psalmist was dealt with by God. He had a come to Jesus meeting. And a lot of us in here tonight, including the preacher, we need to have these meetings more often. To come to Jesus, to hear his word, to be confronted with what is true, to have the darkness in our lives exposed, not simply to harm us, but to hurt us that we might know of his goodness and his grace and his kindness in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, this is hard. It's hard for me to preach it. It's hard for me to think about it. And yet it is true. You and your steadfast love and mercy move into our lives through your word to confront us, to expose the darkness, the things that we are deceived by, that lead us astray. And you do it because you are good.
And you want our hearts, you want our whole hearts to worship you and to know of your love and your grace. And so, Father, I pray that we would all have come to Jesus meetings on a regular basis, that you would deal with us through your word, that we would be soft people with soft hearts that can tell this world that we know a God that is gracious and kind to sinners such as us. Lord, would you do that? And we would give you the glory as you do. In Christ's name, amen.